Bibles to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22 as we continue our studies through the New Testament and currently in the book of Acts. The title this morning is Paul's Mighty Testimony. Paul's Mighty Testimony. This chapter tells us about the message that Paul gave to the rioting mob back in chapter 21. He tells them about his encounter with Jesus Christ and the things that happened after his encounter with Jesus that brought him to Jerusalem. And then Paul uses his Roman citizenship to deliver and save him from the awful whipping of a prisoner. So let's now look at what Paul had to say. We left off in chapter 21, if you remember, with a riot going on. People are trying to get to Paul. They want to kill him. The Roman soldiers, they intervene. And, they, and they're carrying him off. They're carrying Paul off to safety by the Roman soldiers. And then Paul stops and he says, Hey, commander, he says, you know, can I speak to the people? And so the commander gives them the, the okay. And so Paul quiets the crowd down and he begins to speak. And if you go back to chapter 21, last verse... We left off with it saying, For the multitude of the people followed after crying him away with I'm sorry, let's go back down to the to the last verse here. And he started, I'm sorry, he says, uh, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his uh, hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language saying, and then we stopped. And now we pick up now in verses 1 and 2 as he continues now what he was saying. He says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. And so he begins this great message. And the minute Paul begins to speak in Hebrew, they quiet down even more. And that's because they're now listening to a man who's one of them. And he starts by giving them his personal history. Look at verse 3. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as all of you are today. So Paul is being persecuted by the Jewish leaders of that day. And he tells them how he used to be like them. That is, he used to be one of them. He said, I used to be a Pharisee. And one of the reasons that he has so much compassion for them and why he loves them, he's so loving them to them, is that he knows exactly where they are. He knows where they're at mentally and he knows how they feel about things. He's giving them his personal background. Why? Because he wants to win them to Jesus Christ. Paul had an amazing background. Now, Tarsus was actually the center of Greek learning uh, in that day. And the finest Greek university in Paul's day was in Tarsus, not in Athens or Corinth, which had passed their glory days. uh, Tarsus was a flourishing Greek city and an educational center. And Paul was probably brought up in the University of Tarsus and, again, had a Greek background. So, 
He had also been in Jerusalem where he had studied under Gamaliel. So now they're listening to Paul. He has their attention now. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there uh, to Jerusalem to be punished. Notice that Paul uses the term, the way. He's using it again here. Notice he doesn't mention the church (coughs) of the followers of Jesus Christ. He doesn't use the term Christians. He uses the term or the words which they understand. And he understands, and this is important. (coughs) You know, when you're preaching the gospel or sharing the testimony, you have to use the right words. Solomon said in Proverbs 25, 11, the right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. So what is the way? The way is the, it is the way, the truth, and the life. <coughs> Excuse me. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's telling them. He's saying, hey guys, listen up. He says, I have the same, the same background that all of you do. He says, I also persecuted the way. He says, I know how you feel. I did the same thing. I know, what you're, well, I know what's going on in your head, and I know what you're thinking. And then after he identifies and connects with them, Paul tells them, I was sent with the authority of the high priest to bring these people back to Jerusalem and to put them on trial. Look at verses 6 through 9 now. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid. But they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. Now, notice how Paul doesn't start. He's he's sharing with him now what had happened in his life. But notice how he doesn't start with some deep theological sermon. He doesn't give them a, you know, a, a, a long Bible study. You know, a lot of times when people get saved and you share with them, you know what, yeah, just, just tell them how you got saved. Tell them how, what God has done in your life and how he's changed your life and, and all the wonderful things that you've experienced since you've come to Christ. Well, a lot of times I say, well, you know, I don't know the Bible that well and I really don't know what to say and... And we'll follow Paul's example here. He was a scholar, but he simply told them what had happened to him. He told them how he met Christ and what Christ did in his life and how Jesus changed his life. He starts here by sharing his personal experience. There's nothing easier than sharing something that has happened to you. He's sharing his testimony about how it happened and what God did in his life. Again, that's the most powerful witness that you can give somebody. Just tell them about Jesus. Tell them about all Jesus has done in you and all the good he's done in your life. How he's changed your life. And that's what the psalmist said in Psalm 66, 16. He said, come and hear all you who fear God and I will declare what he has done for my soul. 
He didn't say, hey, gather around, you guys, and I'll give you a Bible study. Gather around, and I'm going to you know, teach you doctrine. No, he said, gather around, and I'm going to tell you what he did for me. So simple. And, in, and it's really impacting. On a different occasion, when Paul was sharing his testimony, he said that there was a light brighter than the noonday sun. And he said, those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice that was speaking to me. Now, when you look at what is said here by Paul in chapter 22, and you go back to chapter 9, verse 7, there seems to be a contradiction between the two accounts of what Paul said. And this is when, what people, when they read things like this, they go, you know, there are always people who are looking for problems with the Bible. Oh, you can't trust the Bible. It was written by a man. And all the things that you hear. And many times they just read the Bible or search the Bible. They're not reading. They're searching the Bible to try to find a mistake. To try to find a contradiction. Why? Because they're hoping that if they can find a mistake, they can find the aha moment. There it is. Something, anything at all. They'll have a viable excuse for not believing the Bible. How can you trust the Bible? Oh, look, here's a contradiction. So, so those critics, they look at Paul's story in chapter 22 and in chapter 9 about what happened to him on the road to Damascus, and they say, aha, we got him. Yeah, here's the smoking gun. Because in Acts 9-7, it says that the men who went with Paul on the road to Damascus stood speechless. It says they heard a voice, but they didn't see anybody. Now here in chapter 22, verse 9, it says that the men didn't hear a voice. Chapter 9, they heard a voice. Here, they didn't hear a voice. Now, what does that mean? What it means is they heard sounds, but they didn't understand the words. God may have spoken Hebrew to Paul, but only because only scholars uh, knew the Hebrew language. The common language of the people was Aramaic. And that's why his friends wouldn't have understood what they were hearing. They heard a voice, but they couldn't understand what was being said. Because it was meant to be a personal conversation between God and Paul. Look at verses 10 and 11. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? This is Paul speaking. And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. Verse 11. And since I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Verse 11 says that when Paul saw that, that bright, glorious light, it blinded him temporarily. And he had to be led by the hand, uh, okay, uh, to, the, to Ananias. The Bible tells us that no man can call Jesus Christ Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul says here. You know, he says, what do you want me to do, Lord? Or, you know, you know he, he calls him Lord. So the fact that Paul acknowledges Jesus as Lord, it shows that he had a true conver conversion. All right, he experienced it right there on the road to Damascus. The moment he met Christ, his life changed. It turned instantly. It turned around 180 degrees. In one dramatic moment, Jesus, uh, Christ, uh, Paul changed from the enemy of Christ to an emissary of Christ. The first thing Paul wants to know is, what shall I do, Lord? 
Notice that. What shall I do, Lord? Prior to this, he was killing those, or wanting to kill those, who called him Lord. Now here he is calling him Lord. And the answer that God gave Paul was very simple. He said, Paul, go to Damascus. Go to Damascus. But notice what he said. What shall I do, Lord? You know, when a person gets saved, normally they want to serve the Lord. They want to serve the Lord because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. You know, how, they, how he's changed their life and, and they, they, they sense that, that, that presence and that relationship with the Lord. What can I do for you? I can't compare what you've done for me, but what can I do? And here he tells Paul, go to Damascus. Notice how, 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 what, how short this, this thing was that, that, that Jesus said, this, these words. Just go to Damascus. Now you think, well, what about, what else is there? Well, God only gave Paul the first step. You see, Paul would have never gotten the second step if he hadn't taken the first one. And a lot of times, you know, we want God to tell us the whole story. But he says, why should I tell you the whole story if you're not going to take the first step? He says, take the first step and I'll give you the second step and I'll give you the third step. And then you'll know what I want for you to do, what I have for you. You know, and it seems this scripture shows us that we find out what God's plan is by taking one step of faith at a time. God has a time for everything. Ecclesiastes, Solomon said there's a time for everything. And when Jesus ministered here on earth, he followed a divine schedule. And it's also possible that if God wants to tell us everything at once, what we're going to, that we're going to suffer for his sake, we say, no way, Lord, no thanks. Because in serving the Lord, there is difficulties, there, there is sufferings. And, and we don't know what's in store for us. We don't know what God has in store for us in the future. But he does have a plan for each and every one of us. A plan that includes much tribulation, many tribulations, he said. And Peter said suffering. Hardship and suffering is many times a part of God's overall plan for us. Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship. That word means masterpiece. He says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Again, we're called for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, God has already ordained your whole life. He's already planned out your whole life what he would have you to do. Listen to what God said to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 5. God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah, before you were, before you were born, before, you know, you know, you ever took one step. I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. So before Jeremiah was ever born, the Lord had already ordained that he should be a prophet. And I think a lot of people miss the purposes for why they're, they're here on the earth. And that's because they get caught up in this life. And in the, deceit, the deceitfulness of this life, the deceitfulness of the riches of this world. Because the, the desire for other things choke out what God would have them to accomplish for His purpose. But the Lord has a plan for each one of us. Paul said in Philippians 3, 12, he said, Not that I have already attained 
or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold, notice, that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. He says, I haven't, I haven't attained, I haven't gotten to that place, and I haven't perfected that for which Jesus called me, but he says, I press on that I may lay a hold of what that thing is for which Jesus called me. You see, we can, we can find out the purpose and the plan of God by surrendering our, ourselves to Him, by walking by faith one step at a time. And Scripture seems to show us that the Lord leads His people one step at a time. And they can always walk by faith and not by sight. And we won't get the next step until we take the first one. Remember in Genesis chapter 4, when Abraham wanted a son for Isaac, he sent his, his, his um, servant out, Eliezer, to find a bride for Isaac. He found the bride for Isaac, but listen to what uh, Eliezer said in Genesis 24, 27. Eliezer said, as for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. That's where he found the wife for Isaac. But he said, as for me, being on the way, the Lord led me. He said, if he had never stepped out and started looking, God wouldn't have led them. God can't lead you if you aren't moving. If you don't start stepping out, how can God lead you? And just like Eli is a, you know, being on the way, the Lord led me and led him to the bride for Isaac. Also in Joshua chapter 3, verse 8 and verse 14, when, when, when God told Joshua, hey, you're going to cross the Jordan on your way to the promised land. Here's the instructions that God gave to Joshua. He said, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Notice. And it shall come to pass as soon, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, as soon as they shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, then the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. That is, the, the water will open up for them to cross. The waters that come down from the Jordan, and they shall stand as a heap. In other words, the water is going to separate. They're going to stand as a heap on both sides so that they could go through. But notice, it, God wasn't going to do that until they took the first step. He said, until the feet of the priests stand in the water. We want them to open up first, and then we'll go through it, Lord. But again, that's where the steps of faith come in. God says, I'm going to open it up for you. But you have to take the first step. Stand in the water at the edge of the, at the, edge of the bank. Stand in the water, and I'll open it up. And he did. On the road to Damascus, Paul came to the realization that the Lord had a whole life planned out for him. And all the things that God would have him to accomplish. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 16, he said, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. See, God saw the psalmist even before he was formed in the womb. And he goes on, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, yet as yet there was none of them. The psalmist said, God, you had all the, my life written down in a book fashioned for me before I, was, before I even took one step, before I even came out of my mother's womb. You had, me all, you had my life already planned out. Verse 12 and 13. Then a, certain, then a certain Ananias, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, 
having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood, and he said to me, Brother Saul, give your sight, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Paul wanted to show the Jews that what he, <clears throat> what he said isn't different than what they believe. So as he's describing, described Ananias, all right, when he described Ananias, he didn't mention that Ananias was a believer. He just said he was a devout man according to the law. And that Ananias had a good reputation among the Jewish community in Damascus. Because these things would be important to, to, to the people that he was talking to. Again, just like before, he used certain words you know, to, 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 to share his testimony. Things that people would hear and understand. Look at verse 14. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Paul made sure to tell them, the God of our fathers <clears throat> has chosen you. Jesus told his disciples, John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. If anybody comes down on themselves because of their life, you know, they say, oh, you know, I, I, you know, I have a bad past. You know, I, I'm, I'm no good to God. God couldn't use me. My, my, my past was too dark. And, you know, I, I'm just not good enough for God. And, and we're never good enough for God. But when Satan comes up and tells you, forget it. You can't serve God. You, your, your past is too wicked. Always remember what Jesus said. I have chosen you. He knows about your ugly past. He knows your ugly past. He knows what you're doing now. And he knows what you might be doing in the future. But God says, I have chosen you. I know the good, the bad, and the ugly about you. And if you'll remember that, remember God can change all of that. God erases all of that as you walk with him and you trust in him and put your faith in him. He gives you a clean slate. That's the wonderful thing about Christ and becoming a Christian, being born again, is you get to start fresh, a clean slate. And so Jesus said, hey, I have chosen you. All you have to do is receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you'll hear Jesus say, you did not choose me. I chose you, and I ordained you to, me, my, to be my disciple. The Lord chose me to serve him to be with him, to spend eternity with him. Think of that. He chose you in spite of you. He chose me in spite of me. And, and you know, God, God takes losers and makes winners out of them. You know, it's like I heard, I heard Pastor Chuck say one time, he says, you know, if you, had, if you had the ability to choose winners, he says, you know, would you ever choose a loser? The point, you know, when he said, if you, in, in a race horse, sorry, he says, if you, if you knew, had the ability to choose, would you ever choose a loser? It's the same thing. He says, when he chooses us, he knows we're winners. He knows that he can make us, if we just need to surrender our lives to him. He makes us winners. Some have people, some people have a problem with the idea of God choosing us. But in reality, remember, God gave me the ability of choice. And I'm so thankful that he did. 
What more encouragement do we need? And choice is a good thing. Life is a matter of choices. Many times people's conditions in their life are made by, is because of the choices they've made. And God looked at each one of us and he said, I love you and I'd like to spend eternity with you. I could have said, you know what? No thanks. I don't think so, Lord. Or I can say, great, I'd love to spend eternity with you too. God chose Paul so that Paul could know the will of God. And what was the will of God for Paul? That God would be, that Paul would be an apostle to the Gentiles. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to the marvelous light. To deliver them from the power of sin and Satan and to bring them into God's kingdom. Not only was Paul chosen to know the will of God, but he was also chosen that he might see him. Look at verse 15. For you will be his witness, Paul, to all men of what you have seen and heard. You see, that's what Paul was doing at this very moment here. He's sharing with these Jews his personal experience of salvation. He's witnessing to them about what he's seen and what he's heard. And we know from the scriptures that he shared some of his testimony with Felix and Festus and King Agrippa. We also know that Paul stood before Caesar Nero. And knowing Paul, he most likely shared his testimony with him. Verse 16. And now, why are you waiting Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So Ananias finishes his counsel to Paul by commanding Paul to be baptized. All converts are to be baptized to show their faith in and obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, baptism does not save you, but we do it in obedience to Jesus Christ. It's an, it's an, outward, it's an outward expression of an inward change. It's an outward show of what God has done inside. And that's why we are to be baptized. We're identifying with Jesus Christ. It's, again, it's not baptism that washes away our sins, but it's calling on the name of Jesus Christ that saves. The words wash away your sins must always be connected with calling on the name, his name. Paul's sins were washed away, not by baptism but by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. So to put it a more literal way, Paul is saying, or Ananias is saying, get up and get baptized and wash away your sins after calling on his name. Verse 17 through 21. And now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I'm, imprison, I'm imprisoned, uh, I, I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So after Paul's conversion and a short time of ministry at Damascus, he spent three years in Arabia. After returning to Jerusalem, Paul was praying in the temple here. He's more, here's more evidence that he hadn't rejected his Jewish heritage. Like his accusers were accusing of him falsely uh, in chapter 21. While he was in the temple, it says he fell into a trance. Now, a trance describes the unique apostolic experience of being transported between 
the normal senses to the supernatural realm to receive divine revelation. And that was back, you know, uh, in, in this particular time. In Paul's trance, it says he saw the Lord and he heard Jesus saying this, hurry up and get out of Jerusalem because they won't receive your testimony concerning him. I'm sorry, concerning him. Remember, uh, there, was, there, were, there are times in chapter 21 and earlier in Acts where, where, where Paul went forward when there were warnings about the trouble that he was going to run into. Notice Jesus here is the one who's telling him, hey, get out of Jerusalem, Paul. They're not going to listen to what you have to say. So it's important to understand there's a time to go forward and there's a time to stop. But we don't, we don't you know, just say, hey, you know, I'm going to do it by faith and just go in and do it. Jesus himself is telling Paul, Paul, don't go there. Depart from here. And since Paul got to the city, he had fearlessly, fearlessly proclaimed the faith that he once tried to destroy. He's shocking. You know, he, he, what he's doing here, he's shocking uh, the people here. You know, his about face, his, his turn from one direction to another, from being a Christian persecutor to a Christian preacher, it just, it made the, the, the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, so angry, it infuriated them. Because they thought Paul was an apostate and a blasphemer, and here he is now speaking about Jesus Christ, preaching about him. But, but he, now he learns about a plot to kill him, and the Christians learned about a plot to kill him, so... What the Christians is they rushed Paul out of Jerusalem and they sent him to Tarsus. And it seems that it took this word from Jesus to persuade Paul to get out of town. And even then, he didn't want to go. That was Paul's heart. He didn't want to go. But again, he, Jesus had to tell him twice to depart. I will going to send you to the Gentiles. He tells them, okay, he says, Lord, he says, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen you know, was being shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death. I was guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. So Paul was standing there. Stephen's being stoned to death. He's holding the clothes for everybody. Hey, yeah, pick up your rocks and, you know, and, and go ahead. He, he was consenting to Stephen's death. He was there and he's telling them, look, I, I know I was there. I, I was consenting to you guys stoning Stephen. Because you see, Paul, in telling him this, he mistakenly believed that after seeing, that after they saw his radical transformation of the Lord, what, God, what Jesus had done in his life, that this would convince the unbelieving Jews about the truth of the gospel. And he was probably figuring, you know, they're, they're going to get saved. But you see, Jesus knew better. He knew that they weren't going to receive what Paul had to say. So Jesus commands Paul a second time, he said, to, to depart, Paul, because I'm going to send you far from here to the Gentiles. The Lord now makes it clear what was hinted in the words of Ananias. Paul would be a witness for Jesus to all men, commissioning him as the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's conversion and commission were both without a doubt God's sovereignty. God chose Paul for this mission. And by making those acts, the focus of his defense to the crowd is Paul told, this is what God's called me to do. That made the crowd very angry. It put the crowd on the defensive. And since Paul had only acted in obedience, Paul only did what God had told him to do. He confronted them and he communicated to them from God. He's thinking, how could they question it, let alone condemn him? But they did. 
verse 22 and 23. And they listened to him until this word. That is, they listened to him until they heard what he had just said. And then they raised their voices and they said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and drew dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought back into the barracks. So the crowd listened to Paul. They're listening up to this point. And it went up to the point where he said, God sent me to minister to the Gentiles. And that's when they said, that's it. We're done. We're not going to hear anymore. They stopped listening because they couldn't handle the idea that the Gentiles could be saved without first becoming Jewish proselytes. Because that would make the Gentiles, it would make them spiritually equal to the Jewish people with God. To the Jews, that was the most clear and imaginable uh, uh, heresy. I mean, this was blasphemy. So their anger was stirred up all over again at Paul, and they started yelling and screaming, away with this guy. (laughs) Remove him from the earth. He's not fit to live. In In other words, anybody who dared to make Gentiles equal to Jews or equal in Jews God's eyes and his saving purpose shouldn't be allowed to pollute the earth with his presence. So they were overcome with rage and they were crying out and they were tearing their clothes and they were throwing dirt up in the air. This is a, an illustration, a symbol of their, of their outrage. Whatever the case might be, racial prejudice pushed them over the edge. They stopped Paul right in his tracks before he could defend himself anymore against the false charges that brought about this riot in the first place. You know, the one back in the chapter 21 when they thought he brought a Gentile into the inner court of the temple. Verses 24 through 29. And then the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging. That means, examined under scourging means that they would, they would whip him in order to get a confession out of him, to get the, the truth out of him, whatever it was, you know, they, they, they wanted to hear so that he should be uh, examined under scourging, so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and he told the commander, saying, Hey, take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? Paul said, Yes. The commander answered, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had been bound. You see, when Claudius saw the riot was starting up again, he took Paul into the barracks to examine him by scourging. Paul already mentioned before that he was born in Tarsus. But he hadn't told him that he was born a citizen, a Roman citizen. And it was against the law for a Roman citizen to be scourged. So Claudius must have been shocked and really freaked out, you know, about this little Jewish troublemaker who spoke Aramaic and Greek and was actually a Roman citizen. Claudius bragged here to Paul, hey, I paid a lot of money for my citizenship, showing again that he he, he had gotten his citizenship by bribing the Roman officials because it couldn't actually be purchased. But Paul was ahead of the Roman captain because he had been born in freedom and Roman citizenship. So the soldiers made two mistakes, but they were real fast at fixing them. They had tied up Paul, 
and they had planned on whipping him. Claudius and his men were probably extra nice to Paul now that they found out that he was a Roman citizen. God was using the great power of the Roman Empire to protect his servant and eventually get him to Rome. Verse 30. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all of their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So in closing, Paul's whole time in Jerusalem was filled with serious misunderstandings. But it didn't stop Paul. He kept moving forward with what God had called him to do. And again, it's a fulfillment of Psalm 37, verses 5 through 6 for, for all. Where the psalmist said, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn. And the justice of your cause, notice, will shine like the noonday sun. Commit all of your ways to the Lord. Let him take care of them. It's very likely at this point that some of Paul's friends were saying, Paul, we told you. We told you this was going to happen. We tried to warn you. And to Paul and his friends, it may have looked like the end of the road for Paul. But again, God had other plans for Paul. Notice that Paul had many abilities. You know, there were many things in Paul's life that made him the right man for this particular ministry in the Roman Empire. Paul had a worldview. He had Greek training that prepared him to be a, a universal Christian wherever he went. Paul was trained in the Mosaic system. He knew about the law. He knew about the sacrifices. And so in sharing the scriptures, he could compare the law and the sacrifices that they were a shadow of what Christ's redemptive death and resurrection was. He could relate the two together. And possibly one of Paul's biggest abilities was his Roman citizenship, which was what opened the door for him to go to Rome. So God's missionary, Paul, did go to Rome. And guess what? The Romans paid the bill. Again, God knows what he's doing. And Paul would again witness there. And he'd witness again and again to the people. And you know what? He's going to witness the people he could have never met if he hadn't been a Roman prisoner. Again, when we go through difficult times, like Paul as a prisoner, never think... Well, God messed up. God made a mistake. Here I am in prison. What, what, what good is this, sir? What, what good does this serve? Well, that's how we got to Rome. And on, 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 on Rome's, Rome's dime, they paid for it. You see, that's what happened when God's people are willing to, to, to be daring and to venture out for Jesus Christ and just to submit to their circumstances. Instead of fighting the will of God and fighting the circumstances and the difficulties and, and all the questionable things that come up in a Christian's life and in serving Christ, it's saying, okay, Lord, your will be done. I don't understand it, but again, I'm not called to understand. I'm called to obey and to trust. And if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, guess what? We will see more opportunities to share our faith, even in the most difficult times and places. That's the way God works. That's the way he does things. So different than the way we would think of doing them. And his ways are a lot better. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you for this beautiful example of, of Paul, Lord, and his testimony. And, and God, the things that, that you did. 
Father, the things that, that you allowed Paul to go through, God, in order to get your word out and to see many saved, Lord. To get the gospel to the Gentiles and the gospel to Rome, Lord. Father, we thank you so much. Father, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus and not our circumstances, Father. May we put blinders on our eyes, Lord, that we can see just straight ahead, not from side to side, so we can't see those things on the peripheral, God, that, that, that distract us and, and cause us to go to the left and to the right. But as Paul said, my eyes are on Christ, that I might serve him and only him. And Father, we thank you for the offering we will, that we received today, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, and your generosity, Lord. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.